Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. G'day and welcome to That's Incredible, a show about the amazing things that are happening all around you, things that you may have never noticed before. Now, Australia is home to some of the most incredible natural wonders in the world, and that's what we're going to explore today. Even better, you can see some of them from your own home. For instance, if you live in southern Tasmania, if you stick your head out your back door and look at the sky at the right time of year, you'll actually see the Aurora Australis. Actually, I reckon the beautiful clean air in Tasmania is a natural wonder in its own right, and you can sniff that any time you like. Depending on where you live, you might not be that far away from a meteor crater formed by a rock that travelled billions and billions of kilometres to get here. Or maybe there's a coral reef that's home to 700 different species of sea squirt just off the coast. I mean, the Barrier Reef is a couple of thousand kilometres long, so some of you must live nearby. How about this? Did you know that Uluru rusts just like your bike does if you leave it out in the rain? Or that if you live in Canberra, a lake might appear just up the road as if by magic next time it rains? These are all natural wonders. And we'll be hearing from science boffin and all-round brainiac Dr. Carl Kruselnitsky about his favourite natural wonders. And there's a stack of them. If it's colourful, oddly shaped and stands out from the everyday, he can tell you why it looks that way and he's probably got a shirt that matches. Before we get to Carl, one of my favourite places to go for any facts is you guys. So here's our cast of kids with some amazing natural wonder facts. Most of Uluru is underground. We only see the top, but it does go down for another two and a half kilometres. The rock is actually grey coloured, but it looks red because the surface has rusted. And tiny prawns live in rock pools on the top of Uluru. They come to life after it rains. So they're like sea monkeys, but on Uluru. Amazing! 10% of the whole world's total fish species can be found in the Great Barrier Reef. The reef's most dangerous fish is the box jellyfish, which has, wow, 24 eyes and 60 venomous tentacles with enough poison to kill humans. And there are 1,600 documented shipwrecks on the Barrier Reef. The Blue Mountains look blue because of how sunlight gets scattered in the air. The colour of the Blue Mountains has nothing to do with the gum trees, which is what my mum and dad told me. Every year, about 130 lost bushwalkers need to get rescued in the Blue Mountains. So please, if you're going bushwalking, tell someone before you head off. That's a public service announcement. You're welcome. There is a bushwalk in the Dandenongs built just for people with limited mobility. 
It's called the Margaret Lester Walk. And you may also have a close encounter with a lyrebird, a wombat or a powerful owl. And if you want to find more accessible walks, just check your National Park website. In Tasmania, you can catch a chairlift to the core of an extinct volcano. The nut at Stanley is a 150-metre-high volcanic plug that juts out over the ocean. It's been 13 million years since the volcano erupted, so you should be safe to catch the chairlift to the very top. And the name, the nut, is believed to be a shortened version of Munatrika. And that's the name given to it by the Tomagini-speaking people who lived nearby for thousands of years. You can find the world's oldest multi-celled fossils just south of Wilpena Pound. Ikara, as Wilpena Pound was known to the original custodians, the Adnya Mathana people, was a meeting place and a place for initiation ceremonies. The cave art in the area is 49,000 years old. It's amazing. There are only seven of the 12 apostles still standing. The 12 apostles are limestone formations on the Victorian coast, down past the surf coast, and they're beautiful, but there aren't 12 left. One fell down in 2005, another fell in 2009, and there was one called the London Bridge, and it was two separate formations with a bridge across the top. And one day, in 1990, the bridge part fell. And there were people on the other side and they were stuck there. No one was hurt. A chopper came, rescued them and took them back to safety. Local people may have seen a meteor hitting Western Australia 120,000 years ago. Legends from the Jaru people who live near Kandamalal, also known as the Wolf Creek Crater, say the crater was formed when a star fell out of the sky. Scientists reckon a 15-metre-wide meteor made the crater, which is currently 880 metres wide and 60 metres deep. Wow! 15-metre-wide meteor to make a hole which is almost a kilometre long. Single-celled creatures have been living in the same bay in Western Australia for three and a half billion years. They must be tired. No, no, I'm just kidding. Stromatolites are blobs of rock that have been built up by algae for billions of years in the Hamelin Bay. You can look at them from a specially built boardwalk. One-tenth of the world's dugongs live in the same area. And dugongs, whoa, now they are worth a visit alone. A rock climber finally reached the top of Australia's toughest climbs 18 years after a falling boulder nearly killed him. And boy, was he tired. (laughs) I did that joke last time. The totem pole is a 65-metre tall and 4-metre wide rock spire on the coast of Tasmania. Paul Pritchard is a British climber and he was trying to climb it in 1998 when a rock fell on him, leaving him with limited movement in his right side. He came back in 2016 and with the help of a team of 11 other climbers, finally made it to the top. It is one of the great stories of resilience. The horizontal force look like a waterfall that flows sideways. They're actually caused by the tides that pull seawater through two very narrow gorges. If you're feeling bold, you can go through the falls on a boat. I've done it. You don't have to feel that bold. It's great fun. Just 
incredible. Have you made up your mind about where your next Aussie road trip is going to take you? Maybe to the extinct volcano or the meteor crater or dropping in on some three and a half billion year old fossils? Are you going to climb that sheer 65 metre high rock spire in Tasmania? If you are, send me the link to your Instagram pictures because I will not be joining you on that one. I'm actually afraid of heights. Same goes for the box jellyfish, unless I'm wearing a stinger suit. Have you seen those? Yeah, they look cool. We're going to hear an incredible story from a guy who retreated to the school library to read about science because the other kids in his class didn't want to play with him because he was born overseas. It's hard to believe. Well, the joke's on them, because I bet none of them have an asteroid named after them, and I bet none of them ever won an ignoble prize for their research into why belly button lint is blue. Is it? Oh, hang on, I'm going to do a quick check. Uh, it is! Wow! Dr. Carl's latest book is called Dr. Carl's Little Book of Climate Change Science. It's his 46th book. I'm still trying to read my 45th book. He's written 46 books. And today, he's going to take us on a special road trip to one of his favourite Australian natural wonders. Hi, g'day. Dr. Carl here, science talky duty person. And today, it's Uluru and the Australian Outback. Uluru has been around for maybe 800, 500 million years, depending. So about 600 to 900 million years ago, there was a vast basin in what was then Australia, which was below sea level. And it got flooded and various rocks and sediments and occasionally bits of quartz fell in there. And they would, 600 to 900 million years later, get turned into Uluru, Karajuda, Mount Connor. Okay, that was stage one. It gradually filled up. It was called the Amadeus Basin. About 500 million years ago, things began to change. And around maybe 300 million years ago to 400 million years ago, the landmass bearing Australia ran into tectonic plate activity, ran into another landmass, and things got compressed and squashed. And basically, the Amadeus Basin, all these underground sediments, underwater sediments, got squashed together, lifted up, and then tipped over at 90 degrees. And pretty well, nothing much happened for a couple of hundred million years. So we're talking, this happened around the so-called Carboniferous period, when the oxygen levels were 30%, when mosquitoes had, or mosquitoes, there were insects with wings 70 centimetres across, and where the great coal and oil deposits got laid down. That was around 300, 400 million years ago. Nothing much happened then until about 65 million years ago, which is coincidentally roughly when the dinosaurs got wiped out. It got really wet, and the bits of land that were made of harder rocks. So you remember stuff fell into this Amadeus Basin. Well, the bits that happened to be lucky enough to get married to quartz, they were hard. And so the rain came and fell for a long time and left standing were the following of Uluru, Karajuta and the forgotten one, Mount Connor, all there maybe 50 kilometres away from each other. So their age, 600 million years-ish, kind of-ish-ish. Uh, it's about just under 10 kilometres around, about a third of a kilometre high, and roughly rectangular, mushed around a little bit. It's red for the same reason that the Australian outback is red, which is rust. 
So what happened was that vast iron deposits were laid down at various times in the past, and then about 2.4 million years ago, a great ecological disaster happened to the planet. So I said 2.4 billion, put that in scale. The universe is just under 14 billion years old, and the Earth and the Sun are about 4.5, 4.7 billion years old. About 2.4 billion years ago, the great ecological disaster that happened was a great oxygenation event where this terribly toxic chemical called oxygen got dumped in the atmosphere by the plants and everything else that was around either died out or evolved or jumped inside our bodies to give us energy and it turned the iron into iron oxide and then the mountains blew and then if you look at Australia the wind pattern is that the winds come across Australia roughly at the level of Perth, get to sort of the Queensland, New South Wales border, chuck a lefty, go up for a couple of hundred kilometres, then head back out again. And so that's the way the sand dunes run. And what they did, the winds was carried across all this iron ore, which is rust. And that's why Uluru is red, especially at sunrise and sunset. For most people, the most amazing thing about Uluru is that it is the world's largest monolith, and it's not. They've been lied to. So firstly, monolith, mono means one, lith is stone, and that implies that a monolith is a single pebble sitting on the desert. No, Uluru is not a pebble. It's actually part of this vast underground structure that reaches across, say, 25 kilometres to the west, and the same to the east, to the Carter Judah and Mount Connor. So firstly, it's not a monolith. And secondly, is it the biggest rock that looks like that? No, Mount Augustus in Western Australia is bigger. Why they believe it? Good marketing. Probably related to the whole thing about the killer whale. Now, the thing about the killer whale is that it's not. It's actually a killer dolphin. And my suspicion, but I have no proof of it, is that the dolphins hired a really good marketing company to expunge, to boot out the orcas and get them marketed as a different creature so they could win the market for being the kindest creature. So is Uluru the world's largest monolith? No and no. Uluru is special in that it is so large and it hasn't degraded over time into being just a lump in the landscape. It's because it's made of harder rock it's got all this sedimentary stuff around it. So when you come into it and look at it, it just rises straight up instead of just a very gentle rise with all the rubble coming off it. So I first went there when I was 16 years old with my parents, flew out there in a little puddle jumper and actually landed at the base of the rock, which you could do in those days. And it was quite amazing. I've been back about three or four times and each time it's quite amazing. So Uluru was known to the local inhabitants for tens of thousands of years, but it was discovered by the white people much more recently. The name was then recently changed to Ayers Rock slash Uluru, and then more recently they were swapped around to Uluru Ayers Rock, thus acknowledging the indigenous occupation and, and heritage associated with it. There's a whole bunch of various indigenous heritages associated with it of both the male and female type, both of which are secret unless you're an indigenous male or female of that type. The more recent one that's come to people's minds is in the last few years, people have been forbidden to climb on it. That has bothered a lot of people. I'm personally not bothered. I can live without having 
to climb it. It did get pretty nasty when people were doing nudist parties and golf on the top. Definitely not respecting the wishes of the local people for whom it was an incredibly religious site. And so probably each of us has got something that's really significant. It might be the bedroom or your church or your children's school, but you certainly don't want certain activities carried out there. And I guess that's what they're saying, don't do it. The best way we can respect Uluru is to deliver proper health care to the Indigenous people. When I was a doctor at the kids' hospital, I had a very clever boss, Torvs Clothier, and he then became a paediatric doctor at Alice Springs. And I went to visit him there a few times and go through the hospital as a doctor and look at what was there. And he said, what do you think? I said, I can't believe it. I am seeing diseases that exist nowhere else in Australia. And in fact, some of these diseases exist only in very poor third world countries. And this is the problem. We have a large percentage of the Indigenous population missing out on health care and on education. Fred Hollows, for whom I worked, I designed and built a machine for him to pick up electrical signals off the human retina. Fred Hollows was involved with smuggling half a tonne of drugs, antibiotics, into the Northern Territory against the wishes of the Northern Territory government. And the reason was, he told me, was he was trying to stop the fact that most Indigenous people out there are deaf. And why are they deaf? Because they get middle ear infections that are not treated. Can they be treated? Yes, very easily with antibiotics. So they got half a tonne of antibiotics and against the wishes of the Northern Territory Government delivered them to the Indigenous people and got busted for it, or they tried to bust him for it. So the best thing we can do, I think, for Uluru is to bring the people to at least the same health care that you have if you're white, Caucasian or white anything or any, any colour and live in a city. There are many natural wonders in Australia. I was lucky enough to be a test driver of four-wheel drives in the Australian Outback for a couple of decades. And so I've been through 15 of the 17 deserts. I know there's different ways to count the deserts, but if you count 17, I've been through 15 of them. And the two I have not been through are the Great Victoria Desert at the bottom of the Canning Stock Route in Western Australia and the Moon Desert in South Australia. One thing I found absolutely amazing in South Australia was the Painted Desert. It's not particularly big, but you drive out into it and then you look around and it's as though somebody has gone around with a helicopter full of pastel spray paint and have just sprayed everything various shades of pastel. Oh my God, it's just absolutely astonishing. So that's one wonderful thing. If you think about Australia, you've got the vast majority of the population living in the cities. Now, on the other hand, we also have 70% of the Australian population living within 50 kilometres of something they've never heard of, the Great Southern Reef. And the Great Southern Reef is not a coral reef, it's a kelp forest that runs all the way from halfway up on the left, across all the bottom and halfway up on the right, from Caratha to Byron Bay. 8,000 kilometres long, that's one-fifth of the way around the Earth, and these huge kelp forests has been destroyed by global warming with the warm water carrying creatures down. So, for example, the warm currents have come down and carried hot water down into Tasmania, the sea urchins have come along with the hot water, and they've eaten... 95% of all the kelp forests, which exist just off the coast, which generate $10 billion a year in fisheries, plus another $35 billion in tourism, and we're throwing it away 
because they, the kelp forest hasn't got a good, strong lobby group in parliaments anywhere around Australia. So there are so many natural wonders. Like I remember at one stage we were in the top left-hand corner of Australia going through the great sandy desert, and we went past it a bit north, and we saw these mountains that looked like broken, blackened, flattened teeth. And apparently they're the Leopold Mountains, 700 million years old, I looked them up later, and they're the oldest continuously exposed mountains on Earth. And all the way you're travelling through the Australian outback, you're just seeing different stuff. And so I've fallen in love with the Australian outback. And in fact, on our longest trip, we started off at Alice Springs, went west for 1,000 kilometres, turned right, went north for 1,000 kilometres. It took us a month to go 2,000 kilometres, all four-wheel drive sand. And along the way, we saw only one other group of humans. And the rest of the time, we were just all together as a little family group, all within 30 metres of each other, 24 hours a day. It was just an absolutely gorgeous trip. So I think the natural wonders of Australia would include the outback. And we very rapidly worked out a nice form of relaxation. We'd watch God's or the universe's TV set at night. So we'd have an early dinner, and then as the sun set, everything would be washed up, and then we'd lay down, lay our little selves down on a ground sheet with our heads kind of touching and blankets and maybe a cup of cocoa, and then little laser pointers. And so for the first hour and a half, we'd look for satellites. And normally you see 10 satellites an hour. And then for the second hour and a half, we'd look for meteors. And then we'd see 10 meteors an hour. And then after three hours of chatting away, they'd go to sleep tired but happy. And that for me was just a wonderful thing. So I highly recommend that people start exploring through the Australian outback. But it's hard. You've got to know what you're doing and you need to get some mechanical skills. That's easy. Just go to a TAFE college nearby and learn. Another place that I found especially beautiful was the Sturt Stony Desert. And the trick is to get out on it right at sunrise or sunset. And as the sun rises or sets, suddenly this incredibly harsh countryside, it is is—it is just terrible. Like, if you've got normal bushy, greeny countryside, you can sort of lie under a tree or you can lie in the bushes. And in sand, you can always dig a bit of a hole and bury yourself in it. And here is just hard rock for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres. But at sunrise and sunset, as the sun comes up and you're looking in the direction of the sun, you can see it glinting. It just glints as the sunlight hits it and it just the whole thing sparkles just for a few minutes. And that was wonderful. Another place is, for example, Big Red, the big sand dune at the east end of the Simpson Desert. Been across that a couple of times. Oh, a Karatha. A Karatha's in the Gulf of Carpentaria. So if you look at this map of Australia, you've got one pointy bit on the right called Cape York. And then you've got another little bulgy bit with Darwin in it. And in between is a big gulf. Down the bottom right-hand corner of that gulf, I specifically wanted to go there because it's one of the few places in the world where you get only one high tide and one low tide a day. Everywhere else you get two, two highs and two lows. Here, you only get one high and one low, and I'll leave it to the listeners to try to work out why. And there we saw the rolling clouds coming across us at sunrise. Oh my God, it was just the most amazing thing. This cloud bank appears above you, then just rolls over the top of you, and you can drive and follow it, and it just maintains the structural integrity for kilometres. There are so many things to see in the Australian outback, and people say, but isn't it just all sand? It's like saying, well, isn't a forest just a tree? Repeated 50 times? No, there's a lot more complexity to it than that. Thanks, Dr. Carl. Let's all don our thinking caps now and see what we've learnt from this episode of That's Incredible. We're going to play a game called Who Am I? So I'll give you some clues about one of Australia's natural wonders 
and you have to guess who I am. When you've worked it out, just sing it out. And we can do it like a competition if you like. So the first person to chime in with the right answer wins. So parents, what are we playing for? What? Chocolate? You're kidding. Like a chocolate bar for each question? Oh, wow. Oh, an apple? <laughs> Let's play anyway. Here we go. Question one. Who am I? 300 metres of me towers above the central Australian desert, but even more of me is buried underground. After it rains, little shrimp come to life in rock pools on my surface. People love to take photos of me at sunrise and sunset because of how I change my colour. Ah, you got it. You got that one early. Of course, I'm Uluru. I'm red on the outside because iron particles in the mineral called Arcos oxidizes due to water in the atmosphere. And the red makes me red and makes me beautiful. I'm still talking about Uluru. All right, next question. Who am I? I'm thousands of kilometers long and more than 10,000 different aquatic species call me home. I'm in danger of being damaged forever by pollution and climate change. I'm home to a very dangerous animal with 24 eyes and lots of tentacles. Who am I? Yes, of course, I am the Great Barrier Reef. And did you know there's a coral K on the reef that's shaped like a heart? Or like a love heart. It's very beautiful and very famous. Lots of people take photos of it from the plane. Our next Who Am I goes like this. I'm home to three sisters and the world's steepest railway. When you look at me close up, I'm mainly green. But when you look at me from far away, I'm a different colour altogether. Who am I? Yes, I am the Blue Mountains. And in a valley in the Blue Mountains, there's a tree called the Wallamai Pine, which is very special because they thought it had gone extinct 35 million years ago. But it hadn't. It was just hiding out in the Blue Mountains, like lots of people in Katoomba. How's the car competition going? Are we all tied? We're all tied, aren't we? Good luck. This is a tricky one. Who am I? 13 million years ago, I was full of hot magma magma. Then I cooled down a little and because I'm made of a very hard material, I stayed where I am whilst the rocks around me eroded away. Now you can take a chairlift to the top of me and get great views up and down the coast of northern Tasmania. Who am I? I'm the nut. You got it. And it's a lot cooler at the top of the nut now than it was when it was a volcano, of course. So you don't need to bring a human sacrifice with you, but I do recommend taking a warm jumper or a cardigan. What was that about a human sacrifice? (laughs) Here's our next question. Who am I? Though my name suggests you might find an even dozen of me, there are only seven of me left standing. You can find me just off the Great Ocean Road in Victoria near the town of Port Campbell. I'm made from limestone that's constantly being pounded by the waves of the Southern Ocean. I am the Twelve Apostles. Wow, what if they change the name to the Seven Apostles? Doesn't quite have the ring, does it? Did you know the Great Ocean Road is the world's longest war memorial? 
It was built to both honour and provide work for soldiers from the First World War. And London Arch, one of the formations, used to be called London Bridge. And guess what? It fell down. Doesn't anyone listen to the songs anymore? Here we go. Last question. If the scores are all tied up, buzz in early. Who am I? The water in most waterfalls falls down. But I decided to do something a little different. You can find me in the Kimberley region of Western Australia, north of Broome. And if rushing water is your thing, you can ride through me in a speedboat. Who am I? I'm the Horizontal Falls. Of course our waterfalls go sideways. This is Australia, the greatest country in the world, the land down under. No one tells us which way our waterfall should go, up, down or even sideways. That's it. That is the quiz. How did you go? You got them all right, didn't you? Excellent. It's because you're so clever. So now, some homework. Is there a natural wonder in your hometown? How about in your backyard? Maybe you've got one in your lounge room. Imagine you've just been appointed head of tourism for your house. How would you describe the most amazing natural wonder in your neck of the woods and make someone else want to come and visit? It could be as simple as encouraging hikers to take a walk through your dad's bushy nose hairs. (laughs) It's disgusting. Have a go at it and send us a copy. Then be prepared to make some extra pocket money selling snow cones to all the extra tourists that are dropping by your place and looking up your dad's nose going, even I wouldn't go up there. That is it for That's Incredible this time around. I hope you enjoyed it. Natural wonders. They're just the best. I can't wait to see yours. And I tell you what, I'm going on a quick road trip to see if I can find one near my place. See you next time. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.